Well, good morning, folks, and good to be back with you, and a very special Pentecost day to you. Uh, I'm just wondering how many of you, uh, you've got a special meal planned. Uh, you, you've, yeah, I know that, uh, that the pandemic has limited the people you can have, but I know perhaps you were wanting to celebrate together with your family and just have a great time celebrating and rejoicing in Pentecost. Or maybe not. Maybe you didn't have any special fare prepared for this. Maybe there, there's nobody that's going to share this time with you. In fact, I get, as I think about it, I'm a little disappointed. Nobody has said to me, uh, Happy Pentecost. I mean, people say, Happy Halloween. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy uh, St. Patrick's Day. But nobody said to me, Happy Pentecost. And um, I, I've gone to the mailbox repeatedly this week to see if I got any Pentecost cards, but there were no Pentecost cards in the mail. In fact, you know, checking it out, I can't find Pentecost cards in, in the card shop. Uh, they're not featuring that. And, and uh, so, like, what's, what's with this um, Pentecost thing? I, I, I don't know. We celebrate other things. Um, we have, for instance, uh, Christmas. We celebrate Christmas. I'm going to tell you, if we didn't have some lights up and some decorations and singing Christmas songs, and, and uh, uh, let's say in, in doing that, that uh, maybe we had a, a message for Christmas on the discipline in the church or something like that, you guys would want to run me out of town. You'd say, this is ridiculous. This is... This is Christmas, and Christmas needs to be celebrated because that's when the Son of God came to earth. Or if we came to Easter and Good Friday and we, we gathered together and, and the sermon was on how to have happy relationships, you guys would be saying, what, what's up with this? This is the, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This needs to be celebrated. Well, what about Pentecost? Uh, I grew up in a faith tradition where we didn't celebrate Pentecost. I wouldn't know when it is or what it was about or what happened about uh, that. And, and so we just didn't know a lot about it. And maybe you're feeling the same way. You, you didn't even know it was going to be Pentecost Sunday this Sunday. And uh, it leaves us with a question. What's the deal with Pentecost? What's so important about Pentecost? Why am I interrupting our series on Abraham to have a special focus on Pentecost? Well, let me tell you, uh, if it weren't for Pentecost, none of us would be here today. If it weren't for Pentecost, there would be no church. There'd be no worldwide body of Christ. This is so important that I wanted to take this time to focus on what is the meaning of that and how important it is to us anyway. So let me start with this. Pentecost in history. Where did Pentecost start? Where did it come from? God, uh, when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt, brought them to Mount Sinai and gave them the law. And part of the law involved three mandatory feasts that God wanted them to observe every year. And uh, one of those was Passover, and, uh, and then the, the next one was Pentecost. And uh, it's Pentecost was to be celebrated 
uh, 50 days after Passover. So you remember what happened with Egypt, uh, in Egypt, when the, the Passover lamb was sacrificed, is this was the 10th of the plagues that God used to release his people from bondage. And uh, they were to uh, take and put blood on the doorposts of their house. And when the death angel came by, he would see that and would pass over. And uh, they were to remember God's redemption at Passover. And 50 days after Passover, uh, Pentecost, or after uh, Passover, Pentecost was to be observed and celebrated. So it also got called the Feast of Weeks because it was seven weeks until Penta 50, the 50th day afterwards. And so it was uh, celebrated 50 days after. And uh, it was also a harvest feast of first fruits. So when God brought them out, the first crops that were harvested came about 50 days after Passover. And, and so God instructed them to have a celebration and a feast, and they would bring the first fruits of their crops, and it would be entrusting them uh, themselves to God, that God would provide the rest of the crops that would be necessary for sustaining them. So it was called the Feast of First Fruits as well. Um, they were reliant on God for a full harvest, but it was also a celebration of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So 50 days after God released his people from Egypt, uh, they came to Mount Sinai. And uh, that would be about 50 days time from the Passover. And it was at that time that they received the law of God. So the Passover, so the Pentecost was not only a, a first fruit celebration, uh, it was also a celebration of the giving of the law that God made for his people, the Ten Commandments and all that went with that. So uh, tying these all together, we come to the New Testament. Uh, Jesus is concluding his ministry on earth. He, uh, he shocks the disciples, though, because he tells them at several strategic points that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to die, be raised again, and he would go back to heaven. They really, they really never grasped the full significance of that, but they certainly were bothered at the prospects of Jesus leaving them. In fact, in John chapter 14, uh, we, we have Jesus saying this to his disciples. This is at the Last Supper. This is just before Jesus would be taken by the soldiers and, and hung on a cross first thing in the morning. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, this wasn't very good news for, the, uh, for Jesus' followers. He says, I'm going to be leaving you. Uh, but he says, if I leave you, I'm going to leave you another advocate, an another one who will take care of you. Uh, I I'm going to give you somebody that is me for you that will be with you. 
Jesus wanted his followers to understand that he had to leave and that that wasn't a bad thing. In fact, he said in John 6 and 17, but very truly, I tell you, it is good uh, that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, here's the thing. When Jesus, as God the Son, came to earth, he came as a, a tiny baby. Uh, he came as a human being. He is what we like to say, the God-man. He was fully God, but fully human. And Jesus, when he assumed this role and this posture, he assumed uh, for all of eternity now that he would be in a physical body. And he's relegated to one place. So if Jesus would here, were here, he would only be at one place at one time. And, and he says, what I'm going to do is, it, this is a good thing. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and he will be with you, and he will be in you forever. That means we have the presence of Jesus. If we are believers in him, we have him uh, as uh, indwelling us permanently. See, he was the Passover lamb that was slain. And, and uh, he was crucified. And, and you remember on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to, to the garden tomb while it was still dark. And she's there and she saw a man in the garden and she supposed he was the gardener. And uh, uh, so she said, just can you tell me where they've laid my body? She saw that the body was gone, that the tomb was empty. And, uh, and Jesus said to her, Mary. And when he said that, she instantly recognized that it was Jesus. And she threw herself at his feet and, and, and hugged him and held him. And, and uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus said to her something as he said that. He, he said, Mary, don't cling to me. I have to go to my father. What was he saying that... Uh, at this stage, you couldn't, he, you couldn't hug Jesus? No, he wasn't saying that. Could, you couldn't touch Jesus? No. Jesus invited Thomas to put his, his uh, finger into the nail prints in his hand. Jesus was saying this, my plan is this. My plan is to go back to the Father, and, and you can't hold me here. As much as you want to keep me here, and as much as the disciples will want to keep me here, there's a higher priority I have. I need to go back, and that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, because I'm going to send you my replacement. The, the Spirit of Jesus would come and live in them and be with them. And, and, and so here is Jesus. And for 40 days after the resurrection, he's teaching his disciples and followers about the kingdom of God. 40 days. And then something happens. Jesus has got to go back to heaven. And uh, so we have Jesus' departure here. And in Acts 1, 9 to 11, um, we see that there is, uh, the, in the exaltation of Jesus, and not only is he resurrected from the dead, not only does he ascend back to the Father, but he is also enthroned at the Father's right hand. That's what we call the exaltation of Jesus, those things. I know we don't often refer to those, but we need to think of that, those three in a cluster all together. And so um, Jesus has got to go back to where he came from. And in Acts 1, 9 to 11, it says this, After he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid, from, uh, a cloud hid him from their sight. So here, here they are. Uh, they're on the Mount of Olives, 
And all of a sudden, Jesus starts to levitate and go up in the air and into the clouds. And they are standing there and they're thinking like, he's gone. They're dumbfounded. He goes on to say, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Those are angels. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The disciples are trying to make sense of this. They were hoping to keep Jesus with them now that they had him alive. But he was insistent that he had to go. And then he leaves them and the, the, the disciples are challenged. Uh, Stop looking up into the sky. You've got something to do. They were instructed to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the gift of the Father. Uh, that was the gift of the Holy Spirit. So for 10 days, they're hanging out together and they're praying. It's, it's like a 10-day uh, prayer retreat. And Jesus and his followers were told by Jesus before he died that they were going to do greater deeds than Jesus would. And we got to think to ourselves, I mean, what can you do greater than raising a person from the dead? What can you do that's greater than, uh, than a, a person who is already, their body, a dead body is decaying already, and to bring that person back to life? Well, it certainly isn't doing something more spectacular than Jesus has ever done. No, something about this is what happens at Pentecost. God did something huge God did something awesome. There are about 120 believers. They're all gathered together in an upper room. Uh, and they had been praying and waiting there. And something incredible happens. God breaks in by the spirit of the living God. There's a sound of a hurricane. There are like gale force winds, hurricane winds that they can hear. It, it, you, you can imagine when you can't even... You've got to shout to somebody beside you for them to be able to hear. There's a powerful visitation of God, this mighty rushing wind, howling. It reminds me in the very second verse of all of Scripture, in Genesis 1 and verse 2, that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep, over the water. Here the, the Spirit shows Himself as this mighty rushing wind. And we know we have no control over the wind. The wind does what it wants. And so the Holy Spirit inv invaded that room. And, and uh, he was uncontrollable in that sense. People outside could hear this, this sound and, and, and it started to attract a crowd. And then something also uh, incredible happened. They looked and there were coming down from heaven uh, like little, uh, little licks of fire, like, like a tongue of a little flame. And as it came down, it began to separate and it began to light on the top of, uh, of all the people who were there. And, uh, and uh, it, was like, it was like a spreading fire going from person to person to person. And they began to speak in languages they had never learned or known. Now, what, what happens is uh, there are thousands and tens of thousands of people who have come for this mandatory feast from all around the world. We heard the list of all these uh, places throughout the whole Mediterranean basin. Uh, people from all those uh, countries were here, Jews, observant Jews coming uh, for this special time. And they, they can't understand. Here are these 
thick-accented Galileans, these guys who are kind of backwater people, and they're speaking fluently the, uh, uh, the language of the people who are there from all of these different countries that have come. And uh, they're speaking it perfectly. And they, they're trying to make sense of this. What on earth is going in here? It's spilled into the streets. Uh, this gathering, and, and, and a crowd, more and more crowd uh, gathered. And they were hearing the wonders of God proclaimed in their own language. And they're trying to figure out what this means. And there's always some critic, some joker, somebody who's, who's uh, uh, ill-intentioned, and he says, well, you guys, they're just drunk. That's, that's all this is. And at this point, Peter gives his first sermon. He gives uh, an explanation of what's happening here uh, at, this, at this time. It's the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came on select people for select reasons and, and, and a their specific time. They would come and empower a person for a task and the Spirit would leave them then. But something incredible was happening here. The Holy Spirit is being poured out on all those believers. And Peter would tell them, these guys aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Nobody's drinking at that time. This is what the prophet Joel had said. This had been prophesied hundreds of years before, uh, that God would do a new work and his spirit would come on all people, men and women, uh, uh, people who were young and people who were old and people who were servant status and people who weren't, uh, uh, all of those people would experience as believers the spirit of the living God being poured out on all of God's people and would dwell in them per, uh, per, uh, permanently. Peter told them in the gathering that Jesus was the Messiah and they had put to death their Messiah and their Lord. In Acts 2.36, it said this, Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter was a straight shooter. Peter was like, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You guys murdered our Messiah and our Lord. At this point, they were absolutely grief-ridden at the, the terrible error that they had made, the terrible error in judgment, what had happened that an innocent man who was their Messiah, they uh, were part of those who would be involved in crucifying him. And, and uh, they're, they're guilt-ridden and they ask Peter, well, what can we do? We, we have erred so terribly. What, what is, there? is there anything that we can do? And Peter said this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, you need to repent. Now, that means, that means do a turnabout face. That means that if you were going in this direction uh, and, and, uh, and you, were, you had this disposition, uh, repentance would be to turn around and go in the proper direction. Uh, you were against God at this point. You turn and go for God. It talks about a change in mind. Turn around in, in what you thought and believed who Jesus was now. And you've, you've repented. You've turned. And, and you believe something else about him. You need to have a change of mind. You need to turn away from what you relied on before 
and to rely on Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus, and, and then to confess him in baptism. And his grace will wash over you and he'll cleanse you. He will purify you. He, he will forgive you. And uh, he will make you a part of his family. And he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit who will be in you and live in you. And this wasn't just a momentary touchdown by the Holy Spirit. This is a permanent work that he would do. And everyone who believes in him will have God's Holy Spirit gifted to them by the, by the Father and by Jesus and empowering them. Jesus, by his Spirit, is living in every person who is a believer. And it's good, he says, it's good for me to go because if I go, the Spirit will come and that advocate will be with you and in you forever. You remember I said that Jesus said he, that uh, greater things would his followers do than he ever did. And we said that certainly can't be something more spectacular than raising dead people. But what he did talk about is what happened here. Because what, what happened next was absolutely astounding. Like an uncontrollable forest fire, the Holy Spirit swept through that uh, uh, group of people. And 3,000 people at once became followers of Jesus. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit and they were baptized. And it was 3,000 people in one day. Jesus didn't have that kind of response. This was something new. This was something fresh as the Holy Spirit was unleashed on that crowd and brought them to faith. And we talked about uh, the, the feast of first fruits. What we have is the first ingathering of a harvest of souls that are representative from around the world at this point in time. They were ethnically Jews, but they were diverse in, in terms of where they lived and their cultures and their language and all of that kind of thing. And, and the ethnic diversity represented there brought them all into perfect unity as well. And Jesus said to them, uh, that, uh, that in, in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, the province that Jerusalem was in, to a northern province of Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The, the, the words of the word of God, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ will be spread to the whole world. And uh, Pentecost would have a whole new meaning for us, a whole new significance for us who are believers, celebrating uh, that Jesus has come and has gone back to heaven and left the Holy Spirit. And we become a prophetic community. We become God's people. And his indwelling Holy Spirit allows us to share the good news with other people who can themselves find him and become followers of Jesus. Think about who God used to help you become a follower of Jesus. And, and, and God wants, God was uh, turning this whole multi-ethnic group into witnesses or representatives or ambassadors for him throughout the world, sending this message to everyone. You know, one of the things I really, really love about our church is 
we, we have such a beautiful diversity in our church. We've got people from all different ethnic backgrounds. And the beautiful thing is we come together as one body. We love each other. We serve each other. We enjoy being together. And in a world of hatred and war and ethnic cleansing and all of that kind of thing, God takes us as diverse as we are and brings us into his body and, and puts us, the, the Holy Spirit in us and, and causes us to love and care for each other. I, I like what Jesus said. Jesus said, uh, the identifying mark that I want for my followers in the world, I, I want them to be, uh, to love one another as I have loved them. He said, by this will all people know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so here we are, the body of Christ. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for Pentecost. We wouldn't be here if God didn't pour out his grace and his power through the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives, to convince, convince us of who Jesus is and to draw us to himself and to make us one body of Christ and to help us to be witnesses to who he is and what he has done for us. We are the church and this is just a foretaste of what lies in, in store for us in heaven. When we go to the book of Revelation, we hear uh, what God says uh, about what heaven will be like. And, and here's, here's something that he says. When we're gathered before the throne, before God and before Jesus, there'll be this innumerable multitude of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. That's us, the body of Christ, and we will be united. And we have an opportunity of practicing that now as we gather together with all the diversity we have. And we recognize that Jesus has commissioned us to tell others who might never know if it weren't for us. And so if there were no Pentecost, there'd be no church. We'd be eternally lost there, there would be no Holy Spirit in us. There would be no being part of God's family. And so we need to honor the Spirit of God. We need to thank God for the church. We need to celebrate the church and what he's done. And let's not make this mistake for next year. So I'm going to tell you next year, uh, Pentecost is May 23rd, 2021. Will you mark that down in your, in your calendar? Will you be ready for that. Uh, I trust you will. And uh, I, I pray that God will fulfill his purpose in us by the Holy Spirit as he distributes us in different places where we represent him. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible uh, act of Pentecost where you did something so amazing where you brought the gospel to us in power by the Holy Spirit. And, and we saw that church grow and expand throughout the world to the point where there are more people that confess Christ in the world than any, any, anyone else. Father, we thank you for this. And I pray that you would help us to uh, be so grateful, so humbled by what you have done and live our lives to honor you. May the world see the beautiful diversity and the unity and the love with the, that we have in one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.